0: Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, If thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting of judgment, and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all, the king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity." When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sort evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he begetteth the sun, and there is nothing in his hand." As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all of his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life. Because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. I want you to notice when we begin this message that Solomon ends verse 7 by saying this, But fear thou God. See, that's the key to everything. Fear thou God. Reverence God. Because he's going to talk about oppression and perverting of judgment. And he's going to move from that into talking about wealth. So how do you group all of these together? How do you get some continuity? What is the connection between what he says in verses 8 and 9 and what he says in the rest of the chapter? Or is there even a connection? I said Solomon is dealing with two things that people trust most in this world today, and that is government and gold. And gold, of course, meaning wealth. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of priority. When we get our priorities right, then the perspective will be right and they'll make sense. Matthew Henry said this, set God before you. Then if you see the oppression of the poor, you will not marvel, be filled with anxiety or dismay at that matter. When we reverence God, when we fear God, all of the things that we see will come to make sense. God's in heaven, he said back in verse 2. Remember that? Back in verse 2 of this chapter, God's in heaven, we're on the earth. You know, it's sort of like the old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. We view life from this standpoint right here. We view life from a horizontal view. We view life through a body that is infected and affected by sin. But God views everything from heaven. And so when we keep God in our vision everything will be right. Paul said in the seventh chapter of Romans, the 18th verse, he said, for in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In Galatians chapter five, verse 17, and we've had this verse recently in our studies on Wednesday night, he said, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and the two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, what he's saying is that it depends on who's controlling our lives. If we allow the flesh to control, our perspective, our vision will be off. If we allow the Spirit to control us, then we'll see things as God does. I'm going to say some things about wealth that do not apply to every wealthy person. I pointed out to the Sunday school class. I told them a little about the message. I said, there have been some godly, wealthy people. In fact, Job of the Old Testament was probably one of the richest men of his day in the East. Abraham became very wealthy. God has blessed his people and does bless his people sometimes with great wealth. So I want to say this and I'll repeat it. I am not against wealth. God is not against wealth. I have no problem with wealth when it's rightly gained and when it is rightly used. But the Bible has some things To say about what I call the danger of wealth. And we're going to deal with this in a little more detail in just a moment. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 beginning in verse 23. He said, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now he didn't say people who are rich couldn't enter into the kingdom of God. He said it's just difficult. And look at the response of his disciples in verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus presents a danger. Many times, and we discussed this in Sunday school many times, somebody who is extremely wealthy tends to trust their wealth and not God. And so Jesus just said that that those who are trusting their wealth, those who have great wealth, just many times have difficulty in coming to that point of humility where they will acknowledge themselves as sinners separated from God and in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other danger is this also that someone will equate and this is what the Jews did, that someone will equate wealth with godliness. See the Jews of the Lord's day had this idea that if you had money, if you had wealth, you were a godly person because surely God wouldn't bless an ungodly person. And that if you didn't have money, if you didn't have wealth, you must be an ungodly person. Because again, God wouldn't give great wealth to somebody who was ungodly. But just remember this, Satan is called the God of this world. And he can give wealth to whoever he wants to give it to. And then James chapter 2. James gives us a warning. And God, through James, actually gives us a warning about respecting people on a presumed appearance of wealth. Listen to what he says in verse 1 of James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you're called. And so James says, here's the danger that somebody will come in. They have the appearance of wealth. They have the appearance of being somebody important and we'll say, well, come on. See, in that day, the choice seats were down front. You know, I, we live in a day when the choice seats are in the back, right? You know, in Baptist churches anyway. But in that day, that well, just come down here, sit down front. We want everybody to see you. We want you to be able to see and we're gonna treat you royally. But then here comes someone who doesn't have good clothing. They don't have sufficient clothing or proper clothing and they they just look sort of poor and we say wait outside the preacher will talk to you after services right James says that makes us judges literally what he's saying is judges with evil thoughts by just looking at a person and judging that person based on what we see and he says you are become partial in yourself and then he reminds his readers who is it that's taking you before the judgment seat who is it that's oppressing you Who is it that blasphemes the name of the Lord Jesus and in his day it was those with great wealth. Now how does all of this apply to what we just read over here in the book of Ecclesiastes the fifth verse. Well Solomon is going to talk in verses 8 and 9 about people in positions of power and many times they're in positions of power because of their wealth. You know As I thought about this message and thought about verses 8 and 9, I thought, we don't have many poverty level people up in Washington, D.C. today, do we? We don't even have many middle income folks representing us in Washington, D.C., Many of those people are are people of power and of people of wealth. And that's what Solomon's talking about and what he's saying is many times that those in those positions because of their position will oppress people. What does he call it? Violent perverting of judgment. Perverting of justice. And he says when you see that what did he say to do? Don't marvel at it. Now he didn't say don't care about it. Don't care about those folks who are being oppressed. Don't He didn't say don't care about those folks to whom justice is being perverted. But he said don't be amazed. Don't be in awe of that situation because again remember what James said. He said these are the ones who are carrying you before the judgment seat. Instead he said instead of being amazed there's two things we need to remember we need to realize. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth. See what he's saying is The only comfort that the person who is being oppressed has is this. That the oppressor has somebody above him. And he talks about it happening in a province. So the ruler of the province might be a very oppressive individual. But the ruler of that province had somebody over him. You know, the prince might be over the ruler of the province. The king would be over the prince. And so the oppressor has someone over him. But he says, ultimately, there's somebody over all of them. Those who oppress and those who pervert judgment and those who pervert justice have to remember that there is a God in heaven. He sees all of these things that are going on. And though they might feel secure in their position, and though they might feel that they're able to get away with these things, folks, there is a day of judgment. There was a message preached many years ago by Brother R.G. Lee. He was pastor of a church in Memphis, Tennessee, and he preached a message called Payday Someday. It was a message about Ahab and Jezebel and how they came to the end of their lives, and every time he would talk about them and how they came to the end of their lives, he'd say, there's Payday Someday. There's Payday Someday. We may mistreat people in our day. We may pervert judgment, and we may pervert justice, and we may oppress people, but there's a Payday Someday. And all are going to stand before God, the saved before the judgment seat of Christ and the unsaved before the great white throne judgment of God. And so he reminds us here in verse 8 that there's always somebody above the oppressor. I guess one of the hardest things in the days that I was working, especially in school security or as a substitute teacher, one of the hardest things to get young people to understand is you're always going to answer to somebody in your life. I don't care if you're, if you're eight and nine years old, it may be mom and dad you answer to, you'll answer to the teacher at school, you get out on your own, there's still laws and rules and government that you have to answer to, and even if it wasn't that, you've got to answer to God. So there's always somebody to answer to. Right. These young people many times, well, I'm not going to listen to anybody, I'm not going to mind, yeah, you will, <laughs> one way or the other. And so there's always somebody over us. But then look at what he says in verse nine. And I love this. Verse nine reveals the vanity of power and position and what I call here plenty just for the sake of alliteration or wealth. He says, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. See, even the king is dependent upon the place where the food is grown. Now, who would work the field? The servant." The husbandman would work the field. And so he says, here's somebody that the king might look down on. Oh, just a lowly servant. Just a husbandman. This is a person that's lower by society's standards than the king. But who is the king being dependent upon? This puts a lot of honor upon the husbandman and the labor of the husbandman. There's a show on television I enjoy watching, and I don't refer to many of them, but there's one called Undercover Boss. And I love to see these CEOs and CFOs and owners of companies go out into the businesses and try to do the job their employees are doing, and most of the time they can't do it. They are dependent upon these people to make their company money to help sustain their position and they can't do the job. And they soon learn a lesson about these people who are out here working day in and day out and all of the problems that they have that these folks never have. You know, health problems, family issues and so forth. And I just love to see that, to see these folks in high positions and high places come to realize, hey, these folks out here are struggling to make it, but they're the ones that are making me able to have the position that I have in my business. I don't know why I thought, just as we were talking about this, I thought of that particular show. But it puts great honor upon what the laborer does, upon what the husbandman does, because the king couldn't eat if he didn't have servants and husbandmen tending his field. Society today tends to judge people based on their income. Society tends to judge people based on their labor, and yet it should not be that, There are people that consider certain jobs just below their dignity. Well, I wouldn't do that job. Listen, whatever your job is, if it's an honest job and you're making an honest living, you ought to be thankful to God for it and you ought to be proud of being able to do that job. And I don't know whether I should say this or not, but I'm going to, (laughs) y'all know me, I'm going to. As I thought about this, I thought about the men who come by my house once a week and they take that little green plastic can that's out in front of my house And they take it and dump it into a truck and put it back. I appreciate those guys. Because if they didn't do it, what would we? We'd be piled up with trash. And so no job should be below someone's dignity. No honorable and, and honest job should not be below someone's dignity but just because somebody has power and just because somebody has position and just because somebody has wealth does not make them better than someone else. Amen. And it certainly doesn't give them the right to oppress others and it certainly doesn't give them the right to pervert justice and to pervert judgment. Now that's what Solomon had to say. That's what God through Solomon had to say about this thing of oppression and justice and it all goes back to position and power And plenty. So then he tells us, because again, he said it's just like trying to grasp the wind when we make a big deal about position and power and wealth and all of those things. Now he starts to tell us, beginning in verse 10 about what I call the dilemma of diminishing wealth. And he gives us several things right here about money. So many people put so much emphasis on money today. Listen to what the Word of God says about money. Number one, verse 10, money does not bring satisfaction. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. In other words, that word satisfied means to be sated. It means to be filled. Enough is never enough. When do you have enough money? When do you have enough silver? When do you have enough gold? It talks about those who have just an insatiable passion for getting more, to having a bigger bank account. And it does not bring satisfaction. All you have to do is look at the lives of the rich and famous. So many of them, if you examine their lives, if you study their lives, they have lived in misery. Back in my day, when I was younger, in fact, when I was in radio, I tried to call Howard Hughes one day. Decided I'd call him person to person. If he doesn't answer, I don't have to pay for it. And if he does answer, I've got a story that'll go nationwide. Interviewing Howard Hughes. And some people may not remember who he was, but he was a multi-billionaire. But he became a hermit. And they said his nails grew out to two or three inches long. His hair grew long. He rarely bathed. He didn't shave. This was a multi-billionaire. This was someone that people thought, you know, he had... Earlier in his life, he had flown experimental aircraft and had, had contact with the government and so forth. And even in his wealth, he became a hermit. He was not satisfied with his wealth. Many times, the lives of those who are rich and famous are marked by divorces and, and drugs and, and distancing themselves from other people. And sometimes they seem to be some of the most miserable people on earth. Money does not bring satisfaction. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. By the way, note what 1 Timothy 6.10 says. And please always quote this verse correctly. So many people misquote this verse. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not bad. God's not against money. I'm not against money. But it is the love of money. And one time I asked myself, well, how does the love of money, it's the root of all evil. Okay, so how does money, let's just take a sin like adultery. What, what does money have to do, the well, way you go back and you study that, that love of money is just covetousness. Not being satisfied with what God gives you. And so we need to be content with what God gives us. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And then he says, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. That talked about not being Content with gain. Oh, I want more. I want more. And when I get more, I'm not satisfied with more. So money does not bring satisfaction. Look at verse 11. Money does not last. Look at what he says there. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. What does that mean, preacher? When someone has money, you know what he's going to find out? He's got a whole lot more friends. If you have money, people will be friend to you. Well, They'll claim to be friends, right? Listen to what Proverbs nineteen six says. Every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. So if you're giving stuff away, you're going to find that you've got a whole lot more friends. So the quickest way to have friends is to have money, but the majority of those quote-unquote friends are not true friends. The more riches one possesses, the greater the claims may be upon that individual. You know what the American way is? I call it the American way. It may just be the Jim way in in the past. I hope I don't do it anymore. But the American way is when I get this bill paid off, you know what I'm gonna do? Well, I've got this much money extra now, so I'll go out and make another bill (laughs) because I can afford this now. And that's sort of the way that we do things. And so a man who has money, he may increase his household expenses. He may uh, increase his dependents. And he's really no better off for his wealth because though he has more coming in, he's got the same amount going out. And so money does not last. And so Solomon asks, what good is there to the owners thereof saving the beholding of them with their eyes? But he's asking if somebody's hoarding money for the pleasure of money, for the sake of money, what pleasure does he get out of it? I can look at my bank account every day and see how big it is. It's sort of what James said in, Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped together treasure for the last days. You know what i saying? In James' day, people would buy clothing. I may be getting on a tender spot here. But people buy clothing that they didn't need, couldn't wear, wouldn't wear, just to have the clothing. See, I'm not going to talk about shoes because I know. (laughs) But they thought it made them rich or showed them to be rich. They would gather gold and silver and so forth. And we've all seen pictures and heard stories of the miser sitting in the dark, lonely room with just one light counting his money. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't bring pleasure. It doesn't last. And then he says in verse 12. Money does not bring peace of mind. Look at verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. What happens when you have money? Your worries are magnified. And he says, this is God's word now. This is not Jim's opinion. He says in God's word that an increase in wealth would just rob a man of his sleep. More money means more worries. More worries means more anxiety. More anxiety means less sleep. Well, preacher, you don't want us to have money. No, I'm not against money. I'm not against God. You know, if God wants to bless me and make me a millionaire, I'll praise him in it. You know, Uh, if he wants me to be content with what I see, there's some people who can stand anything. This is what James says in the book of James. There's some people who can stand anything but to have money. There's some folks' money would ruin And there's some folks who can stand anything but not to have money or to not have money. And those folks, that situation would ruin. And so God gives us the things that we need. Again, we're talking about contentment. I heard about a man on a train in India. He had a briefcase full of money. And so he's on this train and it's traveling through the night and he's terribly sleepy, but he will not let himself go to sleep. Because he's afraid somebody might steal his briefcase full of money. And he gets so tired, he starts to nod off and he'll wake himself up and keep an eye on his briefcase full of money. And finally, he got so tired that he just passed out. He just went to sleep. And when he woke up, his briefcase full of money was gone. And you know what he said? He said, good, now I can get some sleep. Okay, (laughs) So, so money does not bring peace of mind. Solomon says the laboring man, the, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Talking about all the cares, all the anxieties that may be involved. You know, a lot of times we wish we had money. Well, be careful. God might give you what you wish for and you might regret it. In fact, money may bring sickness. Look at verse 13. There is a sore evil, which I've seen under the... That word sore means sickness. There's a sore evil, which I've seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Here's the picture of a miser who just ruins himself, worrying, you know, heart palpitations, ulcers, all kinds of physical ailments. This hurt talked about physical, moral, and spiritual evil. That affects this individual He's so concerned over these things. Somebody said this, whatever you own ends up owning you, if you're not careful. Whatever you own ends up owning you. Riches preserved by the possessor hoarded and guarded only to bring their owner added grief when their fortune is reversed. And We've seen, remember back during the stock market crash? I know most of us weren't around when that happened. But remember the days of the stock market crash when people lost their fortunes and what did they do? They jumped out of windows, they committed suicide. They took their own lives because they had lost everything that was important to them. And then in verse 14, he says this, money can be easily lost. Look at it. But those riches perish by evil travail and he begateth the son and there is nothing in his hand. Proverbs 23, 5, Solomon said, riches certainly make themselves wings they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. That's true, isn't it? It doesn't necessarily have to be our great sums of gold and wealth. Riches just make our money, will just make itself wings and sometimes fly away. I think I said last week, somebody said money talks and it does. It says goodbye. And that's the way it works. But he said those riches perish by evil travail. And it's not always due to unsuccessful business investments. The rich man may lose his property may lose everything he has like Job did. It may be because of storms. It might be because of fire. It might be because of robbers. It might be because of lawsuits, something he is in no way answerable before, but he may lose his fortune. And then what does he say? And he begetteth a son. And what does he say in the end of that verse? And there is nothing in his hand. In other words, one of the great miseries for a wealthy man who loses it all is when he loses it, he has nothing. To leave his heirs. He has nothing to give those who will come along behind him. And then in verses 15 through 17, he who holds on to his money will find out that he will leave life without it. Look at verse 15. As he came forth out of his mother's womb, naked shall he return. This is definitely a reference to Job chapter 1, verse 21. As he came out of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. At the end of life, what are we going to take with us? We're not even going to take the clothes on our backs, folks. When we leave this life, when we die. And so here's a man who has spent his life laboring, laboring for great wealth, and he dies, and he leaves it all behind. That phrase in his hand talks about as his own possession. And what is true of a rich man is true of every one of us. We're going to leave this life someday, but all of the things that are important to us, the material things that are important to us, we're going to leave right here. As I said last week, I think it was, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. We're going to leave it all behind. Verse 16, and this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? It doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account. When you die, we're all going to have the same amount in our bank account. The only bank account that's going to matter, especially for a child of God, is what he has sent on ahead. Solomon says, you're going the way you came. And how did you come into this world? With absolutely nothing. And he says, we're laboring for the wind when we live our lives just for the purpose of having gold, of having great wealth. And then in verse 17, he says this. He says, his days, all his days also, he eateth in darkness and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. In other words, it's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's the dark side of wealth. That's the dark side of what Solomon gives us here. Remember, he's looking at life under the sun. He's looking at life in this flesh, living for the flesh. But I'm thankful verses 18 through 20 are there. The dangers he talks about and the the disappearance, the dilemma of disappearing wealth, but he's going to give us in these last three verses the delight of divine wealth. And what he says first of all in verse 18 is this. Enjoy what God has given you while you can. Just enjoy what God's given you. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Enjoy what God's given you. Just serve God in it. To eat and drink refers to the common blessings that God bestows. He provides us with food. He provides us with drink. He provides us with clothing. Paul said to Timothy in First Timothy 6, 8, having food and raiment, there would be content. Be pleased with what God gives us. Which God giveth him. These are God's blessings. We think we earn our food. We think we earn our wealth and the things that we have no I tell you what God gives it to us if it were not for God to give us the strength to labor to give us the mind to be able to do a job if it were not for him we would not have these things and so he just said God gives it to him it's not the result of man's effort man must labor but God gives the increase And he says it's his portion, it's what's allotted to him by God. But then look at verse 19, not only should we enjoy what God gives us while we can, we have an obligation to thank God for the wealth he has given us and to enjoy those blessings. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and have given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. To whom God hath given riches and wealth. Do you realize that we, especially we in America, are considered, all of us are considered, I don't care how little or how much you have, all of us are considered wealthy by the world's standards. Most of the world would love to have the things that we have. Even if you are penniless, and I don't think anybody here is, but even if you are penniless, you know what? God has given you life. You woke up this morning. You live to see another day. And not only has God given you life and given me life, he's given us eyes to see. You know, I like to do photography and sometimes you go out in the morning, the sunrise is beautiful. You go out in the evening and the sunset is beautiful. And all of the things in between that are just such great beauty, you go out at night, you look up and there's a full moon set. God has given us eyes to be able to see these things and to enjoy these things. He's given us ears to hear. One of the most beautiful sounds I've heard is to go outside just before sunrise. Well, a little bit before sunrise and just sit there and listen. And you, you hear the, I call it this, you hear the world start to wake up. You know, there's this silence and then all of a sudden a bird here or there starts chirping and, and then this sound and this sound. And people miss that because they're concentrating on making a buck. You know, God's given us life to enjoy, eyes to see, ears to hear, and he's given us a mind to think. And that's one of the greatest gifts that God's given us. Just a mind to be able to think and to reason. And we need to realize God hath given, the source of all of this is God. We didn't do it ourselves. And he says he's given us the power to eat thereof. That's the ability to enjoy it. He says this is the gift of God. So I don't have a million dollars in the bank. Well, I don't either, but folks, I can enjoy life and so can you because of God's great gifts. And verse 20, for he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Here's the next thing about the delight of divine wealth. The one who's learned the lesson of calm enjoyment, that's trusting God and contentment, does not concern himself much with the brevity of life. Or the possibility of trouble in life. He's too busy enjoying the life that God has given him. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 34. He said take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take care of the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Now somebody said it this way. Don't borrow from tomorrow's sunshine. Or tomorrow's troubles. You know, sometimes we can just get to worrying about tomorrow. What's tomorrow going to happen? Oh, just enjoy today. Why you got today? Do- There'll be enough to worry about tomorrow. Hey, listen, I'm I'm not going to say I'm an expert in worrying. I'm an expert in being concerned. Okay, and I guarantee you, there will be it. There's going to be enough tomorrow. Come along that you'll have plenty to worry about tomorrow. So just enjoy today. Live today. Trust God today. Serve God today. He said, God answereth him in the joy of his heart. God will give you. If you'll trust him, go back to verse 7. Fear thou God. You put him first. You fear him. You get the priority right. Here's what he says. God answereth him in the joy of his heart. You'll have a calm and contented life if you just trust God. Just live for God. Make him first. Keep his priority if you seek to follow his will in your life. And here's also what he said. God will give you a song and joy in your heart. You trust him and you put him first. Folks, and I know none of us are. Maybe somebody watching by live cast that this applies to. I hope it does not apply to any of us. But if someone lives just trying to accumulate wealth and accumulate possessions as a means of future security, they're going to be sorely disappointed. Things cannot give you pleasure. Things cannot give you joy. Things cannot give you security. Somebody says, money can't buy happiness, but it's ahead of whatever's in second place. No, it's not. But if we will walk daily with God... And if we will walk according to the principles of God's word on a daily basis, you know what we're going to find? We're going to find that security and we're going to find that contentment in the Lord. I'm going to close with this. And I'm not necessarily going to sing it, but I'm going to quote it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Trust Jesus, that's it. Trust God. Fear thou God, Ecclesiastes 5, 7. That'd be a great great sign just to put up in front of you. Fear thou God, trust him, depend upon him, live for him and you'll find the contentment you're looking for in the service of God.